So what I love about the wiggle room is that can also sound of like some kind of charismatic church thing for people to get, you know, filled with the Holy Ghost and a little bit electrified. So, but babies come pre-wiggled, right? And that a developmental thing like a wiggling baby. Well, as you know, um, I get to improv today. <laughs> All right. But I've been talking about uh, idea of peace and hope and love and Advent for about 25 years, so I think you can manage something, just don't expect any linearity. But uh, I was deeply touched, uh, as many of you kind of shared with me, by what Tori shared last week. And if you didn't hear that kind of opening up Advent, I don't think Advent could have been opened up any better. And even in worship, it's like, uh, my, my Holy Spiritometer is how much Adrian is crying and how much eyeshadow is going down below the, the jawline. And uh, what Tori had to share, it just uh, helped me enter into the hopeful bleakness of the year. The hopeful bleakness of the year. I love that at one point our church has decided to uh, look forward to the coming of Jesus when everybody else was wondering if they're doomed in other uh, pagan religions. You know, is the sun going to come back in this darkness? Will there be another harvest? Will there be another spring? Will there be anything else? And to bring that is a, a sign of co-suffering with the world at large, but a certainty of hope. And not a certainty of hope like in the modernistic, I can empirically prove this kind of certainty. I, I like the word assurance better. The assurance is when your kid thinks the whole world is falling down because they've skinned their knee or they're you know, experiencing sensory overload at an event you drag them to, and a, a child just shuts down, and a parent holds that baby, and you just take that baby to a safe place and hold that baby till the baby is communicated to. Uh, I like to use that Julian Norwich quote, all will be well, all will be well, all manner of things will be well, when that parent is holding a child. That's uh, the hope of Advent, is an overwhelmed child who's comforted by a parent. And that's, uh, as I reflected on a Tory, one way I, some of us, uh, you know, one way for me to think through scripture or think through teaching is I always have to reword it or write something. And I just uh, uh, wrote a little poem kind of in response to what uh, Tori had shared. And I've never had the, I mean, I've, I've, I've read stuff, I've written it, poetry thing stuff, but never at church like this, so this is a little bit hard, but this is my uh, thought for Advent 2023. Sunsetted, days truncated, anxiety is expecting anxiety. Global chaos, self-loathing. Hope, joy, peace, love a tunnel with a lightened end. To Bethlehem, to Bethlehem I limp. Limping, not slouching. God is with us in the muck and mire. Announced by skybound, numinous choir, this dark advent of world repair. O oh, infant light, uh, eclipse despair. 
So that's kind of my uh, hybridized take on Advent, is I'm celebrating Jesus, I got my lights up, but it's a dark time. And I've been especially thinking of what's going on in Gaza, the Middle East, you know, this fear that kind of ebbs and flows, that this could be the, uh, the triggering device for a, a global conflict. And I found that almost everyone I interact with, like, outside of this group, is very on one side or the other. Very on one side or the other. And, uh, or unwilling to speak out on injustice on one side because of the grave injustice on another. And if we've been eating the Bible for a long time, if we've been reading the Word of God, we have a different take towards political and global conflicts than the left or the right or north, south, east, or west have. And that different take of the conflict is modeled by the prophets of Israel. These were the most pro-Israel people you could ever have. And they strongly rebuked Israel. It was a critique from within. So to, what we learn from that is to critique any... Uh, it is not a show of disloyalty to feel like your people are betraying something precious. And I'm thinking, if we could, as a church, fully denounce the evil perpetrated by Hamas... Because, you know, we think violence and any, anything that, you know, most of us believe any time a non-combatant is killed, that's terrible. Not everyone, but most of us. Some of us have a different thing about a concept of just war of unjust war theory. I'm not going to go there. But uh, having, during one of the most peaceful times in the last 40-year uh, uh, history of Israel, I spent several months there, both with... Uh, 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 Jewish folks and Palestinians, I hitchhiked everywhere, camped with Bedouins, and what I learned was my upbringing was Israel can do no right, and all Arabs are terrorists. I'm telling you, that's what I got from my... Israel can do no wrong, and all Arabs are terrorists. And I witnessed a hospitality and kindness and a demonstrativeness of the goodness of Jesus at the Arab youth hostel I stayed at for weeks and weeks, and also from my Jewish brothers and sisters. And I saw the majority of the folks seem caught up in something bigger than them. And I can be grieved and horrified by the evil or the violence inflicted of, on Palestinian people by both Hamas and Israel. You know, there's been like several 9-11s in the past 10 years of uh, Israeli children who have died. Uh, and I remember the amount of eye patches I saw on kids and crippled kids I saw and what I personally witnessed. And you know what I, I ba my basic take on the whole thing is? There's no winning this. There's no winning this. We have two groups of people that want the other group of people in the ocean. There's no winning this. But one thing, and that's what our Jewish Savior prayed. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What many of you don't know is, it, this has changed because of so much of the persecution, is so many of the Palestinians are Orthodox Christians that were persecuted by three groups, well, persecuted by two groups and neglected by one group. They were persecuted by a lot of staunch Muslim fundamentalists for being Christian, 
They were persecuted by the government for being Palestinian. And uh, specific American dispensational uh, Christian tourists that had one group being painted as bad and the other good treated them like crap. And I witnessed that. I was there on Easter when all the pilgrimage group, and I saw how Palestinians were treated. And we have got a very simple and difficult place that we as Christians hold. And that is, we love our neighbor, and we love our enemy. Whoever, whatever algorithm tells you whatever enemy is, we have one response, love. And I just want to further encourages, we talk about the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, is we can be the people that just weep. And we can be the people that ask for mercy. And we don't have to become pundits on the left or right saying who's wrong or right. Because there's, in this conflict, at least, and this is what I would say my thing, I truly believe at the bottom of my heart that everyone's wrong except the kids and the families and those caught in the crossfire, all those kidnapped, all those killed over the past 20 years, um, those who woke up with no warning to find uh, uh, heavy equipment ready to demolish all their houses with uh, 10 hours to get everything out of their house. Um, we are big enough, because we, not because we're big enough, because we have a big God that can have compassion for everyone. So I just want to pray a blessing on us that we can be Advent peacemakers, that we can embrace that it's dark all the way around. And whatever we have, be it prayers or anything, bless those that are suffering on all sides. And don't don't take sides. Don't demonize people. Demonize demons. And let Jesus' kingdom come. Because... uh, Jesus is the one that can bring everyone to the same dinner table and break bread. So, Father God, I pray for Central Vineyard. Help us not to fall into political tropes, but fall in love with the kingdom story. Help us not to be pundits, but in the name of Jesus, make us prophets. Speak speak against injustice, who dance in your presence, who are vulnerable, and who oftentimes can say, I don't know, but I love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. So the other theme of Advent is also, it's weird to juxtapose personal heartbreak with global catastrophe, right? In fact, I don't know how many people have come to me with something they're suffering from, and they say, and it just is so small compared to what's going on in Palestine, I said, maybe to you, but not to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Uh, There's a reason he gives a story about leaving a whole flock to go after one sheep. Jesus is the, Jesus, fully human and fully God, but by the power of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Jesus coexisting as one but three, Jesus can have everyone as his favorite. And Jesus cares. The same way you good parents would care if your kid was in a debilitating depression is just the shred of how much Jesus cares for you all the time. And so we can, we can look at the global despair, but think of what our own heart needs in this time. 
and I would say the most healthy thing. Now, I encourage people, like, we, we have brains that have developed to the extent where we can take about a village of trauma. And we've got a world of trauma on the Internet. And, you know, and that, people can take about a village. Uh, when Jesus sent people out to every tribe, tongue, and nation in Matthew... You could be in one place at one time, maybe get a letter after a year of delivery process. So you generally had trauma one village at a time. The early church was called to understand trauma in two villages of the time. They understood what was going on, of the Christians being persecuted in Jerusalem, all unemployed and stuff in various places in their own hometown. Through Paul's letters, they knew what was, in others, they knew what was going on. So the early Christians almost always had at least two villages of trauma in their head, but they also knew a healer, and they also believed in that light at the end of the tunnel that all will be well. Um, we're at a point now where, Christian or non, we're asked to do one of two things, only think about the trauma in our, our midst or to think about everything. And listen, my fellow mentally fragile people, we know the second thing doesn't work. But that doesn't stop us from feeling shame if we don't feel bad about everything that's going on sometimes, all right? You feel me? Uh, but I'll say this, is like God is going to quicken each heart of a believer towards a niche, a niche area of care this Advent. Like, you know, we care about orphans that are vulnerable to trafficking everywhere in the world. We're focused on Cambodia, which is the size of Indiana. Not because that is the most acute place, per se. In fact, I'd like to think it's less acute now based on what we've been able to be a part of. There's been an exponential grace unleashed there. But we were called. We know there's a world of suffering. We were called to a story of which we know the names from 20 years ago to now. We know the names of the people. We know what legislation matters to those kids. We know what classes they're taking. We know what universities they're going to. Our brains can take that. We can engage suffering on a large scale that's small. And it's, uh, last week I said, you know, talked about, or the week before last time, God is God of the small in the weak, in the little things, in the baby steps. God moves us what seems at a snail's pace, but if you looked at a garden with those little glistening trails overnight, you can see snails can make a lot of movement over time. And uh, I wanted to look uh, to Mary's trauma today and specifically read, and then I want to read the first part and give a spoiler alert that everything was cool, but more trauma was to come. Okay, so I'm going to read the two edges of the story, but I want to start with Luke 1 and read about the announcement of the angel, the angel Gabriel gave to uh, Mary. And these are my scribblings here. This is Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel peered to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what 
this angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him a throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in the sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. The word of the Lord. You know what I love about this story is it wasn't necessary for the Jewish Messiah, per se, to be born of a virgin. But virgin birth stories were in almost other pagan religions system. I mean, there's a couple nuances of it. But by and large, when the uh, people of Israel were looking forward to a savior, that wasn't on their current checklist. But it was for the Gentile world in a lot of ways. In the pagan world, there was the trope of the, the, the born of a virgin. And this is just, even in the announcement, a trope that Mary wouldn't even been aware of. God is making space to make his message by the very drama he enacts relevant to other cultures. I call them Easter eggs. <laughs> you know, when they were the, even though Easter Anyway, uh, so, well, you know the rest of the story, many of you. If not, we're talking about it. But Jesus is born, and this is before uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus become undocumented alien refugees in Egypt, you know, having their Egyptian captivity in the same way the children of Israel did many years ago. But in the midst of, Mary knows, my social standing in social life is over. I am going to be marked as someone who was an unwed mother, in our, which in that culture was a social death. My kid is going to be called names, and he's going to have a hard time his whole life. This is such an amazing thing, yet there was a breath between the trauma. And the breath, I love this verse in Luke 2. So this is after the shepherds find out. Uh, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in a manger. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> what a bassinet. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened, and the angel has said to them about the child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart, and thought about them often. Thought about them often. She thought of the beautiful parts of this story often because they were the medicine for the trauma that probably kept happening. First of all, all of Israel was traumatized because they were occupied by Romans, empowered to enact capital punishment, empowered to take your daughters if you don't pay taxes, empowered, I mean, they were occupied territory, so life 
in the desperation of all the different sects of Judaism, be it the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, everyone had an extreme reaction. There's no, when there's despair, there's nothing but extremity, extreme behavior, and all of them went extreme in their own ways. So that was Mary's life, added to probably not really regarded by her people. Um, there's all indication that her husband Joseph wasn't there very much longer to take care of her, that she died young, and she watched her son tortured to death. You know, if he was a man of sorrows, uh, she's often called by Roman Catholic uh, brothers and sisters, uh, a lady of sorrows, or a woman of sorrows. Um, but it said she often treasured these things in her heart. And I want to go to uh, St. Francis uh, de Sales. Uh, St. Francis de Sales born uh, some like 1577. I think he, he died... Uh, uh, 1622 or something like that. Google knows better. I'm not going to bother going through my notes on that one. But he had uh, he'd actually lived through uh, one of the most uh, terrible plagues in London. It was like uh, the, the Black Death from the 1300s, part two. And that was on everyone's mind. And during those, that time, there was a, a bubonic plague activity somewhere in the Mediterranean, southern European world. Uh, 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 there was plague going on somewhere. And, you know, DeSales was Lake Geneva area. Uh, Francis, uh, he would have been aware of this. And a lot of times, historians like to sneer upon priests who went and visited everyone who had the plague, and they said they were the carriers. Uh, since some scholarship has gone to show that they weren't carrying it forward, everyone already had it pretty much, and it did take out, like, 33% of the people. But... The priests were the ones, the original plague doctors, if you will. And in order to care for people the plague, uh, they thought there was an issue of bad air, which they were right, or they call it miasma. And in order not to yak and throw up when you were around people who had necrotic flesh and were dying, and plus, people would hold uh, posies or herbs or nosegays by their nose, because they would, that strong lavender would prevent them from throwing up. Um, I've had to use that once going to a specific uh, medical scenario where I actually put an Altoid up my nose. Remember that? It worked. <laughs> I mean, but it was just to keep that strong scent so I didn't lose it because I have a weak stomach. And they came to believe, so it had the practical use if it was anti-nausea. But then they began to think, well, if it doesn't smell bad, it must not be bad. So the plague doctors would wear these masks with beaks on them, and they would have all the lavender. The steampunk kids love it, you know, and you would take the scent in, and you wouldn't smell. And they thought that purified it. Well, it didn't. And uh, the mortality rate of uh, priests and pastors and monks and nuns was like some of like 58% versus 33%. And I'm like, what a way to go, dressing the wounds of people that are being run from. Well, DeSales, being a contemporary this time, didn't get as graphic in writing about a spiritual practice because it would have been understood by those who read it. And I want to read what uh, St. Francis de Sales wrote that I think is coming straight uh, from uh, Mother Mary here. It says this, One should gather a little nosegay of devotion. My meaning is as follows. Those who have been walking in a beautiful garden do not leave it willingly without taking with them four or five flowers. 
in order to inhale their perfume and carry them about during the day. Even so, when we've considered some mystery meditation, we should choose one or two or three points in which we have taken the most relish, in which are specially proper to our advancement, in order to remember them throughout the day and inhale their perfume spirituality. Now we should do this in the place where we have made our meditation, either staying there where we are or walking about alone for a little while afterwards. And then, you know, the uh, 20th century therapist would begin re recommending something the same way. But DeSales uh, got there first, as most of our know, Vagaris and Pontus and the desert fathers and mothers and all our mystic Christians did and on any good modality. But the nosegay was a bundle of flowers around your neck to stop you from yakking. And people would just carry them sometimes because they just liked it too. It's like, it smells good. If you remember, ring around the roses or ring a ring the roses in England, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes, they all fall down, was about the Black Death. Well, guys, engaging hope, peace, and joy in the suffering of our Advent world we're waiting for the second advent of Jesus' return to set things right, requires a nosegay of what has God already done. One of the psalmists, you know, people say, I just don't like contemporary worship music because it, it's too repetitive. And I said, have you ever read the Psalms? A couple of them actually repeat it word for word, but they have this one Psalm where God, and I'll paraphrase it, God saved our butts in this situation. His love endures forever. Then he pulled us out of the fire. This situation, his love endures forever. Oh yeah, we were slaves. His love endures forever. This king was going to kill us all. His love endures forever. And he just inserted everything. His love endures forever. And I think a lot of times we need our own, his love endures forever. Because sometimes I think um, the, the nature of my dad's death, the nature of my mom's death, where were you, God? The Middle East, where were you, God? This deep betrayal I'm experiencing, where were you, God? This way my kids are being bullied, where are you, God? And to where that is, while I pray the psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which was, you know, a psalm that was teaching us how to pray. We also need to hold in the other hand, his love endures forever. And guys, I want to encourage you as a, a baby step practice here is come up with a bouquet of four good things. I, my brain can barely hold the trauma of what I know is happening in this room right now. In this room right now. Secondary trauma is real in the amount of you that I know of that serve and bless and care for. The most vulnerable among us, the amount of you that work with the most mentally fragile economically disenfranchised, chemically addicted, or just mixed up like me. That secondary trauma is real, measurable, measurable through blood tests, measurable with an fMRI. It is physically affecting your body, but so does the nosegay, because unlike the lavender petals that did not kill the bubonic plague, the reminiscence of the good things God has done leaves us saying, that's nice, can I have some more? And here's the beautiful thing, you can be part of someone else's some more. 
God doesn't generally give us a lightning bolt of grace. He generally gives it to someone else to hold the fire and bring it to you. God generally doesn't materialize money in your bank account, but he inspires someone else to pay the bill because God loves to have us broken vessels be able to accomplish great things. Every day is bring your kid to work day with God. You don't bring your eight-year-old to work because they are going to help you do the inventory that you have two days to complete. You bring the kid to work and they get in the way and they have the joy of helping you out because they're misshuffling some papers and your child gets to feel included in the work you are about and your intimacy one another grows. And God involves us in the work of his kingdom from, you know, from Franklinton to Cambodia. He involves us in the work of his kingdom because he wants you to have the joy he has that despite this dark advent, we celebrate the light. Amen? So let's stand, and we're going to bring our communion folks, worship folks uh, forward. But friends, specifically t- today, there are some of you that have an acute need for uh, the Holy Spirit to populate those flowers in your life and connect your mind to that. Uh, depression, I I personally know several people are feeling acute betrayal and attack on Judas level betrayal. I know some people are dealing with uh, the disappointment of broken relationship, deception. There's people here who are going through financial desolation. And some of you can't even put the finger on it, but you feel like you're at the end of your rope. Let us pray for one another because God gives the fire to someone else to give to you in the sacrament of prayer. So as Ben leads us in the Eucharist, come forward for prayer. I would like to ask our prayer folks to line the sides. Please don't leave without doing the most countercultural, embarrassing, and awkward thing you can possibly do and ask someone for prayer. Lord Jesus bless you. Good morning, everyone. Friends, we now turn towards the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. We share together in this meal each week, participating in the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. Um, As noted, uh, if you haven't already, I invite our worship and prayer ministry team to come up. Friends, we are all here because Jesus has extended to to us an invitation. Strangers and friends, believers and doubters, the certain and the curious. It is always, as it was that night, a mixed company that Jesus gathers and invites to his table where in bread and cup, he meets us, and through him, we, who are different, are joined together as one body. Come, not because you understand, but because you are understood. Come, not because of how you feel, but because God has food for you. Come, not because you feel deserving, 
but because Jesus invites you and welcomes you just as you are. Scripture also invites us to examine ourselves before coming to the table. We become aware of our faults so that we can receive grace in our time of need. We confess so that we can partner with God for our healing. And we confess together through the confession song. Friends, hear these words of grace from Scripture. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we continue to share in this story, place yourself at Jesus' table. Imagine Jesus hosting you The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you and for all for the forgiveness of our sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. send now your spirit among us. Come with your presence in this bread and this cup that as we come forward and present ourselves to you as living sacrifices, we may taste and see your goodness. Be united in your love and become one body, your hands and feet in the world. As you come forward, we would also invite you to receive prayer from our prayer team for anything. And just to add on to that, if you felt uh, the call that Jeff was sharing earlier, please come up and receive prayer. Here at CV, we have an open table. The bread is gluten-free, and we enjoy this meal by coming forward and dipping a piece of bread into the cup of juice. If you would prefer an individually packaged wafer and juice, those are available also, but they are not gluten-free. With that, come and eat.